The next number of weeks, you'll be hearing on Sundays from members of the pastoral staff and the shepherding team and also some other pastors in town. And so that is what we'll be doing as we begin a new series on the book of Psalms. And we're going to be beginning today that series by looking at Psalm 147, which was read to you earlier. So if you have a copy of God's Word, can I invite you to open to the 147th Psalm. Do you ever find it difficult to praise God? You know, many people do. It's not uncommon. Author and scholar C.S. Lewis found this to be a real problem for him intellectually uh, before he was a Christian. He stumbled over the whole idea that, like in the Psalms, God commands us to praise him. You, praise me. That was hard for him to accept, that God would command people to praise him. He said this, Lewis called it a miserable idea that God should in any sense need or crave for our worship, like a vain person wanting compliments. I don't want my dog to bark approval for my books, he said. So maybe this kind of theological problem isn't an issue for you. Maybe it's different. Maybe the difficulty with praise is that on Sunday mornings, like the weather outside, you find your heart cold. And you'd rather be home, on the couch, and your praise seems a far cry from the person down the road from you who seems just genuinely passionate about praising the Lord, and you think, that's not really me. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe your difficulty with praise lies in the fact that you come in on Sunday and you open your mouth to praise and the thought occurs to you, you know, I haven't really praised the Lord since last Sunday. Thought about God? Yes. Read the Bible? Yes. Prayed? Yes. Praise? Not so much. So if this describes some of the difficulties you have with praise, I'm here to tell you you're not alone. I know that because I've just described my struggles with praise. Over the last number of weeks, I've been thinking especially about my heart and praising the Lord. And in God's kindness, it was weeks, if not months ago, that I decided we were going to look at Psalm 147 today. And so in God's plan, the problem that he's been pressing my heart with and this psalm have come together in a remarkable way. Because this psalm talks about our praise and the difficulties we have with it. So I hope you'll join me this morning on this pursuit of praise. And that is, after all, the theme of this psalm. If you'll notice how it opens, it opens with praise the Lord. And then it ends at the end of verse 20, praise the Lord. In fact, there are three sections or stanzas in this hymn, this psalm, and they all begin with a word saying to us, praise, worship, sing to God. So this is the theme. It's what we're looking at today. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 presents God. Here he is. So there, you could say Psalm 147, verse 1, this way. You could say, praise the Lord. Because it is good to make music to our God. Because he is lovely, praise is beautiful. So praise, what are we talking about? 
Well, praise is simply an appreciation and a response to excellent qualities. In other words, you praise whatever you prize. After becoming a Christian, C.S. Lewis talked about praise, and he described it this way. There's a slide. Let me read it for you. Here's what he said. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely had escaped me. I thought of it in terms of a compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Readers praising their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, dishes, actors, motor cars, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. The world rings with praise. And you see, this is what's going on in the first verse of our psalm. God is featured. See, Christians are not just people who worship. We worship God. We don't gather on Sundays to praise. We gather on Sundays to praise God. And that's what the psalm puts right in front of us, God, right out out of the gate. He's featured. He's enjoyed. He is superlative good, beautiful. And therefore, our praise of him fits. It's appropriate. It's just right. Now, a good meal might deserve, wow, that was delicious. Why? Because it's a good meal. The praise fits. But then if we're talking about God and we enjoy him, and it overflows in praise, then praise, our words, should fit our God. So why don't we praise? Now this psalm, in these three verses, identifies, this psalm identifies three reasons to praise. But I want to flip them upside down and talk about why these reasons don't often gain traction in our own hearts and lives. I want to talk about three roadblocks to praise that come right out of this psalm. So let's look at the first section. Sometimes the roadblock we face to praise is pain. You say, I'd like to praise, but you know what? I've been hurt too much. Let's read the first six verses again. It says, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble or the afflicted. He casts the wicked to the ground. So notice the people that were described in the verses we just read. Who are they? They're the outcasts. They're exiles. They're brokenhearted. They're emotionally wounded. They're hurt. 
ones that need to be bandaged. They're humble. In other words, that means afflicted or downtrodden. By whom? Well, the wicked, who God says he's going to set right. These are not unfamiliar categories in our human existence. And as a pastor, I have the privilege of talking to lots of people, and I've been a pastor for years. And one of the privileges of being a pastor is that I get to talk to men and women, and they open up and they tell me about their lives, and they tell me about the burdens they carry, about the injustices they've experienced and the injuries they've borne. I've talked to the spouse who feels trapped in a deeply disappointing or even destructive marriage. The grown child who's never known the approval of his father. The parents who ache for their children who've turned away from them and from the Lord. The sexually exploited who've been taken advantage of by those they trusted. And the lonely who never dreamed they could be so forgotten. Yet in this psalm, the people I've just discussed, they praise the Lord. How? These people in pain are the ones the Lord restores. They're the ones he cares for. Notice his actions. It says he gathers He heals, he bandages, he lifts up. Then there's that part about the stars. Why would you include discussing stars? Well, you know, sometimes we go out into the night sky. I took my kids outside last week. We looked at the stars. Sky was clear. You can see Orion's belt. You can see the Big Dipper. But you know what? Most of the stars in the night sky... You can't see it all with the human eye. But God knows where they are. And maybe you feel like one of those stars in the far-flung reaches of God's creation, out in the corner, somewhere, forgotten, alone, hurting, in pain. And my friend, I want to tell you this morning, God knows where you are. He knows your name. He made you. He's not lost track of you. He cares for you. And you know, what's challenging sometimes is the way God cares for us. Because God cares for us through other people, flawed people. That's every person. God takes care of you when you're in pain, sometimes by taking another step toward potential pain. You've got to open up to other people. Say, this is what I've gone through. But then you're in danger of admitting your weaknesses. You're putting yourself in vulnerability for people talking behind your back or misunderstanding Or maybe just burdening other people, and you don't want to do that. And so you've walked the streets of pain alone for years. 
Look around. You're surrounded by friends, by people who love you and love the Lord, pastors, teachers, others. We want to be, as it were, the hands and feet of Jesus to come alongside and hear your story and know you, care for you, and walk beside you. It takes a risk. But if you come in and you sit and you leave and you're in pain, not only do you continue to not take advantage of the care that the Lord has surrounded you with, you also keep that roadblock up to be able to praise the Lord. Because it's those that he reaches out to and rescues and heals and bandages and protects and cares for that their mouth is now opened to praise our God. So pain often will keep us from praising. But then there's the opposite problem, and that's what's addressed next. It's not the roadblock of pain, but the roadblock of strength. This kind of person says, I'm doing fine. Let's read verses 7 to 11. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So in these verses, God cares not for stars here, but for animals. He brings, how does he do that? He brings the clouds, he brings the rain, which caused the grass to grow, and this gives the animals their food. So what do they do in order to receive this systemic blessing from God? Nothing. What do they bring to the table? Nothing. Well, except for their own neediness. I mean, even the raven, it says, he cries. Like he cries out, I'm thirsty. So in contrast, God takes no delight in creatures who, ignoring their neediness, present to him their own strength. God's not impressed with the might of cavalry or infantry, the show of human force and capacity, the strength of a horse, the legs of a man. In fact, he detests the sin of self-reliance because it's, it's our, like our little moon of reflected light eclipses then the full-orbed, massive source of glory and goodness that is the sun. And we think because we've got a little bit of reflected light, look at us. No wonder strength is a roadblock to praise. See, in the Bible, it's not that God helps those who help themselves. Keep looking, it's not in the Bible. Rather, that God helps those who know they can't help themselves. Instead, they know where their help comes from. 
It's where the clouds come from. It's where the rain comes from. It's where the grass comes from. God is the source of our ability to handle life. And God wants us, instead of looking to ourselves, admiring the the reflected moon, as it were, of our own abilities, to instead appreciate the true source of light and life and strength. It says he wants us to fear him. It doesn't mean he wants us to cower in front of him, tremble like that. Instead, he wants us to understand he's God and we're not. He also wants us, it says, put our hope, our confidence in his steadfast love. Do you realize God doesn't want you to sort of be unsure and speculative and maybe a little bit, I'm not so sure about his love for you. He delights when you just bank on the reality that he loves you. When you really question his love for you, it doesn't fit reality. It doesn't fit our God. He doesn't like that. He wants you to have confidence in his love. Why? Because if the strength comes from us, I'm good. Then who gets the credit? We do. But if we acknowledge the reality that the strength in our life comes from God, then he gets the praise. So when you look into the mirror of your soul, do you see your own self-reliance? If not, that probably means it's, it's everywhere in your life. That's probably a tip-off. So perhaps if you're looking and saying, I don't know, am I being self-reliant? Am I relying in on myself and not the Lord? Well, let's talk about prayer. I mean, after all, the ravens cry. Are you cruising through the week without much thought to how much you need God's help, His guidance? Do you ask Him? And do you ask others to ask Him for you? Hey, would you pray for me? To help you. Do you pray and invite prayer about your needs? your weaknesses, your struggles, your shortcomings, challenges, relationships. So if you're not praising, if you're not asking him for help throughout the day, then you won't be praising him when he sends it. If you walk into church on Sunday having had the general attitude of, I'm fine, I've got it together, I'm good, then you have set up a roadblock to praising the God who is really your strength and your life and your help. So whether your roadblock to praise is self-sufficiency, your own strength, or whether it's overwhelming pain, both of these things can just fill our ears where we just think about me and myself or my pain and the injustice. And sometimes that so blocks out God that that we're not praising him. But then this passage puts its finger on a third roadblock. 
And that's not when our ears are filled with strength or pain, but it's when our ears are shut. This is the roadblock of silence. It's when I don't perceive God at all. Let's start at verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his winds blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. So we have experienced some winter weather these last few weeks. It's been on again, off again, different kinds, different temperatures, but it feels like winter has finally arrived. This passage teaches that weather, here especially winter weather, comes from God. He controls it. How does he do that? This passage says he does it uh, by speaking. Do you notice that? He speaks and there's snow. He speaks and it melts. That's the kind we like around here. But notice here that this section really isn't about snow any more than the previous two sections were about ravens or stars. God doesn't just speak to the weather. He's spoken to his people, to Israel. So let's get the, get the, get the thought here. God speaks. Here's a mountain. Now it has snow on it. He speaks again. It melts. The water flows down. And it brings blessing. Remember, it says he gives the finest of wheat. So you have speaking that yield blessing. And then the psalmist switches gears and says, I'm not talking now about words about snow and wheat. I'm talking about words to my people. And when I speak to my people, guess what happens? Just like melted snow fills streams that make bountiful crops. So when God speaks to his people, they are blessed. They know God's blessing in a way that those who are not his people do not. So I often ask guys at lunch or at coffee during the week, how's your time in the word? So I'm going to ask you, how's your time in the word? How's your time in the word of God, the Bible? Are you hearing him speak his words, his words that bring blessing? I'm not talking about four chapters a day. I'm not talking about an hour a day. I'm just saying, I mean, how about a few verses? Do you spend time listening to God during the week? Maybe it means you need to do something as simple as just kind of firming up your schedule. Rearrange your calendar. Sometimes, I know for me, if I don't have a plan it just is so easy to not happen. It really helps me to know I'm going to read my Bible and listen to God here during the day. It also helps me to know 
uh, like where I'm going to be reading at that time. To have that little plan, it's just me, it helps. Uh, resources help. We have a book table at the back full of great resources to, in a very accessible way, bring you into hearing God's word. So after the service, if you're back there, you may want to ask some of the, those who are at the table, uh, what do you recommend? Where can I start? What's a place where I can start beginning to hear God's word more? But most of all, we don't just ask others, but we need to ask God. There's a verse in the Psalm, Psalm 119, that says this. It says, open my eyes. This is a prayer in the Psalms that God has given us to pray. God says, I want you to pray this because I know you need this prayer. And the prayer is this. God, open my eyes. Why? So that I might see wonders in your law, in your word. Let's think about that, right? Think about it. When we open God's word and we find it not compelling, we find it boring, we find it strangely irrelevant, God says the problem is not with the word. The problem is with us. Because if we really could see what's there... It would, we would see things of wonder, things that incite awe, things that make us go, wow. You realize they're there. Those things, things that inspire wonder and awe are in the word. And if I don't see them, it's not because they're not there. It's because I'm not seeing them. The problem is with me, the eyes of my soul are shut. And so God knows this and he gives us this prayer. It's a good prayer. It's a good prayer to pray before you open the word in the morning. Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wonders in your law. Because if we are hearing him with open ears and seeing what's just jaw-dropping about God with our spiritual eyes, you know what's going to happen? We're going to experience that blessing from him and give him praise. But if the Bible is just kind of a blank book in our hands, there's going to be blank praise from our lips. He invites you to meet with him and be totally blown away. By his word. That's what his word does. Just like it brings snow to wheat, it brings a melting and a thawing and a growth in our hearts. And I'm telling you, you're going to love it. You know why I say that? Because all this focus on praising God, it's not just the the church thing to do. That's what church people do. We praise. It's not merely the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, okay, I know I need to do that. All right, I'll add it to my list. It's not merely a religious duty, but would it surprise you that praise is actually the most humanly fulfilling of all activities? 
If you are not genuinely praising God, you are missing out on the essence of what it means to be human. Not just Christian, but human. Here's C.S. Lewis one final time. He writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Praise is the joy that actually completes the enjoyment. So if you enjoy what God has made and what he's done for you, whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to go home and enjoy lunch. If you enjoy all the things that God has made and all things he's done for you, your enjoyment meter goes up to maybe 50%. Unless you turn that also into praise. And the meter rises. So today, God is through this psalm, and by calling all of us to praise, is actually inviting you into deeper pleasure, more enjoyment, not just fulfilling some church thing that I need to do better next week. God is calling you out of the shallows of thin religious appreciation of God and out into the ocean of real human delight in the God who made us and rescues us and restores us and transforms us through his word. So let me ask you personally, what is blocking your praise of this God? That's the question. And know that whatever it is, he's able to remove it. To bring him glory and you joy. That's what our God is like. Would you consider this question as we pray together? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have spoken today and put your finger on something that we struggle with. We don't praise you like we should. 
and we are all the worse for it. So, Lord, help us to pinpoint where the struggle originates. Give us eyes to see how good you are and how good you are in our lives, how great you are and how great you are in our lives, how truth-speaking you are and in our lives as we read your word. So, Lord, open our mouths. Give us words and hearts of praise, not as something we just manufacture, but a heart that delights in you. So, Lord, we're praying this because we need you to do this in our hearts. Help us, Lord. Fill our mouths and hearts with praise. For Christ's sake, amen.